Hello. Colin, what's happening? Hey, TQ4. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, I like that little game. Yeah, what's it called? Did you get it? Did you get it to climb around on the? Yeah, the, yeah, it was fun. Little clone guy. We'll see. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that, uh, I loved it. It's a nice game. What's it called? Clone Wars. Blastoids. I'm just kidding. Can you hear me? To me, to me it looks like uh, Major Havoc. Major sort of inspiration. Major Havoc? Cool. I'm not sure remember that one. That's one of the early great vector games. Oh, no. You, you haven't played Major Havoc? That was... It was uh, Kind of like a, a platformer, but it was vector graphics. Yeah, I and think it, I've, it's been a long time. It had a bunch of robots, and the levels were really challenging. Yes, I remember that. Game. Was that the time of Battlezone? Yeah, it looked like that, but it was sort of a, a platform game. Like yeah. Mario, way early. Anyway, yeah, it had a very cool little stick man. Um, so anyway, it was kind of fun to... Was it? Oh, I was saying like um, Major Havoc. I think was probably nineteen eighty-five. Is my guess? Okay. Um, yeah. So that that was kind of what I had been doing for fun. The, the music software. Um, you know, like the, the practice and performance software cadence, that's that's going good. We're getting it so that it'll play a continuous set without stopping between songs to load or anything. Yeah. So that's kind of a great milestone. We're getting close to putting the good graphics on it oh, okay. um, with our designer. So that'll be ready to launch hopefully this year. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm loving it. Here, man. Oh, the microphone. Oh, the green screen glitch. Something. I was told by Mr. Z. He, yeah, he said, um, Mr. Z today was talking about this. He said, did you hear about the green screen glitch of Biden? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, basically his hand went through the microphone. Right? Um, what do you think? Is My thought is that it, it could be a AI algorithm doing video compression. So I thought it looked like there was sort of a, a poly around his hand. 
Oh, really? Video compression algorithm where where it's where the AI is detecting the person and its movement, and then kind of ignoring the background and maybe painting his hand over what was a keyframe in the background. Yeah. So it's just like a temporal anomaly because of AI compression, so that it would literally be looking for, okay, we're going to take all, we have low bandwidth, so we're going to put all the bandwidth into the subject, that you, you know, when you put it as mouth moving in the space, it mm. looks good, even though you don't realize that the background isn't moving very much, mm. you know, just because it's not sending the data. So the, yeah, they 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 kept releasing stories saying that number forty six is CGI. Well, wouldn't he be like a big buff Arnold Schwarzenegger type character by now if he was? Unless it, unless he's just meant to fade away. Huh. Is he a CGI figment of our imagination? Um, a simulation? Like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and yeah. Ghostbusters are our worst, our worst fears. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so... I used this this uh, brass muddler mm-hmm. from your your family heirloom. I, I crush garlic with salt. Oh, really? To start, to start a lot of my recipes, it works perfect. Oh, nice! Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's yeah. nice. How'd you you learn? Really? Huh. Yeah. Um, um, is he growing anything in your garden this year? Hello? You listen to Man Behind the Machine. the mercy of your cell phone tower no problem sometimes so we're listening to uh, music by man and we've got a special guest tq4 with the tq404 synthesizer welcome back how are you today 
so we were talking uh, about the machine the machine yeah yeah um how, how do humans and machines work together how, how do do the machines need humans? yeah good question what do you think so, the answer is um how do you how do you given this opportunity to solve this problem, what would you do? good question I'd like to ask you a question about um, the Mozart throwing his dice to bring a melody um, did, did is you, that true yes he created waltzes using dice I wonder if you could go to to Mexico. Um, 
and I wonder if there would be a way to find used eight-track recording tape. You know, so like if you could get um, you know some like ranchero music. Mm. Tejano music, but have it in multi-track and then bring it into an editor, chop it, slow it down, glitch it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've been hearing, I've been hearing, uh, Spanish language, um, dancehall reggae. Except I haven't heard much, like, uh, Vaporwave. I, I think Vaporwave could be the next uh, Ranchero sensation. Really? That's hilarious. Vaporwave. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, because it like, takes what sucks about the 80s, which is that high energy. Yeah. And it, you just slow it down and filter it. And all of a sudden, it's like not so high energy anymore. But it still has a ton of texture and a great groove and everything. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm late picking up on the vaporwave, but I like it. You know, I guess I, if I, if I would have known when I was young and people would sit around and listen to filters all day and that was like real music because I loved that stuff when I was just first getting started with the Moog and you know just learning about how to record music and how cool synthesizers were how you know you could kind of set it and forget it and evolve and um, you know do counterintuitive things I, I just you know I was entranced by it but I didn't I still put all my effort into playing. Yeah. Just playing knobs. Have you been busy programming a lot? Yeah. Um, the, the beautiful thing is, it's all all my client work is super interesting. My one client we're working on, um, one client is working with video streams, um, so we'll be using Amazon to transcode. So. Well, it's, it's pretty simple to do a, a one-on-one call between two browsers. If you want to broadcast and record it, encode it with different uh, qualities, then um, you need to use some kind of web services to make that happen. Amazon makes it pretty easy. They have something called um, Kinesis which initially was designed as like an event pipeline for like data between apps. Um, and then they just figured out that the infrastructure would work with video. So they put a bunch of uh, video encoders. Um, it's interesting, you, you store your highest quality and then as people watch it, it encodes it on demand. It just creates encoders that encode it. Back in the background, the requests are cached and called, you know, for data. And so anyway, that's all interesting stuff. And luckily we have someone uh, joins the team who's much more experienced with Amazon Web Services. So they, they know the right answers already. So that, that makes my life a lot easier. 
telecomputer prototyping, trying to scratch my head with all these different web services. I can just focus on the design and the information architecture, which is what I'm really interested in. And my other client, that has all to do with web audio, web MIDI, um, from to do, you know, with uh, Amazon Web Services, but that's just for storage. But we learned we can load a whole set into memory, all the all the MIDI, all the way, all the images, all the data, um, and then turn off the Wi-Fi and play through the whole set. So that, that was kind of a cool uh, milestone. So you know, it, as I said, that, all all of my all of my clients stuff is really interesting and then I'm, I'm still trying to keep making time to work on little animation and music projects um, just to, to feel like you know I'm being able to you know I don't know I think designing and building things it's its own form of creativity you know ultimately it's the information architecture is, the, is what's happening and animation is just a data visualization. What, 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 should, I, what should I make it make anything that would be the greatest thing to make? Programming wise? As far as pro, uh, software? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, as far as what you've seen of the kind of things I build, what, what would help you with, you know, I don't know. I guess there's a couple different ways you use music in your life. What, what would be a innovation for, you know, for say, you know, say there's, you know, quarantine situation, remote everything for a long time, right? Um, what what do you what do you think could uh, help make that better for musicians or for other people who enjoy music or what, what 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 what's the what's the version of Zoom that that makes your life better? Yeah. Yeah. It has always been the greatest when we dare to be great. We can be the greatest again. We can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space peacefully. Yeah. I mean, gee, I'm sorry if I'm. I don't mean to be vague, but do you, can you formulate it a little bit more? Uh-huh. Or that you'd like to do with music, but you can't anymore because of the general present conditions. What's, yeah. what's, the, what's the music problem that you see now that, that has been caused by this uh, pandemic? Uh. Well, of course, you know, an ability to get together, jam, play live. Perform live. So music parties and music shows have a, um, 
why I said Mozart and a lot of these other people have been using, you know, um, dice, including um, John Cage, some other artists. <laughs> I, just, I just threw John Cage's name in there. <laughs> so anyways, um, if you have dice available, you have a random number generator. So just go generate a bunch of data. You know, that's what they're saying. They're saying that these are not just chance occurrences or you just think of a melody, right? So a lot of that inspiration, the genius, when they say he's a genius, you know, well, the genius just comes up with these ideas, you know? Well, here's, you know, my thought on it is that you know, there's, there's more to it. <laughs> the amount of harmonic tension, and that's, that's like when you change keys or you have a suspended chord or a diminished chord, that creates tension. Mm. And if you have too much chromaticism and diminished chords and dissonant things and you sound like sonic youth and your ears never really resting. Oh, and it gives you sort of this jittery 
lost feeling or anxiety or whatever the fuck um, Sonic Youth wants people to feel when they hear the dissonant noisy music. Which I'm, I'm judging it by labeling it, I guess. But, um, you know, you take something like a Britney Spears song, it typically doesn't even have a single chord change. It might have one flavor chord in the bridge, but it's very minimal as far as harmonic development. Is it true you that know? is it true that Britney Spears benefited from the record label they used this algorithm? Apparently, it's an algorithm that's been used by Janet Jackson and, as of recent, some other artists. Um. Yeah. And, Malcolm Gladwell talked about that um, in the uh, New Yorker article called the hit makers I think it was called and it's about where they took an algorithm where they say okay song the song is a hit they, they took all the hits and they said okay tempo key groove and so they were able to like parse out all of these different parameters in the composition and then show where they were clusters and so you have songs that are very similar like you know, they might not sound similar on the on the face of it, but they have the same key, same tempo, same cadence. So something like uh, Low Rider by War from 1969 or whatever. Low Rider, right? <laughs> and then there's yeah. um, there's uh, Ya Kid K and Technotronic. Pump up the jam, pump it up while your feet is bumping and your feet are bumping, right? Yeah. And so it, it's it's that same kind of wugga wugga chugging groove, right? And then, um, you know, who let the dogs out? It's like, they're, they're, they're all the same song. Um, and so you can say, oh, well, for this type of song, there hasn't been one of those for a while, like, you know, Ben Folds 5 and, you know, um, Coldplay and Elton John have been off the charts for a while, so now Justin Timberlake can come in with a song that has a complex piano progression, right? And high falsetto vocals and a screaming guitar solo, and all of a sudden, hey, oh, it's this hit. It sounds like you've heard it a hundred times before the first time you hear it, but it's still new. So that. Um, you know, my, my thought of, you know, how to make generative music actually musically interesting and satisfying is if you were able to address the composition of the dynamic and how much change there is in the dynamic. Uh. And there's also how much harmonic tension or lack of harmonic, you know, how much resolution, so how much dissonance, how much density versus sparsity. All of these parameters can be static and not change at all, or they can be dynamic, where you can have a long and quiet part, or a dance and a, you know, you could have just you know, if you look at a day in life by the Beatles, it's got these really dark psychedelic parts. Mm. And with, you know, 
lot of harmonic progression going on, you know, some like block chords going through the circle of fifths with harmonies and strings, and then it goes to the part with the, you know, the piano, dun, 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 you know, the Mr. Blue Sky sound part. And so that, that you know, that contrast, it's a stark contrast. Same with, you know, you can say, how much does the song change over time? You know, you look at Tiny Dancer, right? It's got like a four-minute intro before the chorus comes in. It's insanity. You know, and then right before the chorus hits, the tempo drops. And so to have the tempo moves is part of an extreme composition where it's really a two-part song, it, uh, it, it hits super hard, you know, but it's, you know, it's a trick. But as I said, once, once you get computers and algorithms, artificial intelligence to understand those tricks and then be able to express, uh, you know, combinations of those compositional elements usually go under the radar, uh, then we'll have satisfying generative music. I wish I could work on it all the time. I wish I had a team of programmers to help me solve these problems. So, what problems do you want to solve? Um, the, to define um, compositional elements as an information architecture that could be addressed by, uh, you know, maybe a a learning algorithm, artificial intelligence, uh, possibly, you know, an evolutionary, you know, like a selection of the fittest to, to literally create 20 channels on Spotify and see which one makes the most money and then clone that and use do natural selection on these algorithms. But so it's set, you know, try to, try to, find that sweet spot between understanding information architecture and computer science and also understanding composition and music production and, mm. uh, you know, arrangement and, you know, what goes into, you know, what goes into music that makes it satisfying, you know. And like for me, I, I don't write a super lot of songs. When I do, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a magical feeling because it, you know, it, uh, to, to, you know, start with silence and then you just touch these machines and then you have a song and it has an emotional impact. So, you know, it's a magical thing. And so you know, how do we get artificial intelligence to tune into magic and want to create magic or, Get pleasure from magical. The magic of creation can, I mean, I don't know, does artificial intelligence need to be motivated or do we just program it in? Say, do make, make pleasurable music times 1,000. Well, apparently stochastic music is labeled under aleatoric music, which is uh, this idea of using dice and um, things to chance. Um, but um, Alea, Alea in Latin means dice. Um, no. Dice music, chance music. I think stochastic 
music. I think that would be referring to algorithmic composition mm. where uh, the result is deterministic because it comes from a formula or a source of, of the composition that anyone who followed the formula with the initial source data would come up with the same composition. They, they have to. It's a law. Um, one thing I do to, you know, like in the Zeppelin game, in order to create pseudo-random environments is uh, combining sine waves of different frequencies and multiplying them will give you results that seem random when you sample them at a regular interval. So if you had this, um, you know, if you go outside at, at any given time, you know, if you roll, roll the dice, it would be light out or dark out because of the sun, but it might also be light out because of the moon. And anyone who went out at the same place in the same time would have the same result. So it's, it's, it's like random because you can't just say, well, you know, in 927 days, if you go outside, light or dark, um, you, you, you would have to calculate it, but you can set up that formula so that a, a thousand people could go out on that day and have the same result. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So if you, if you start a clock at, you know, January 1st, 1970, everyone in the world is following the same clock. And if you take the numbers of that clock and run it through different sine wave functions, you can create what seem to be random numbers, but everyone in the world is going to get the same exact random number. And so if they're generating a world that you're sharing, you don't have to transmit the world, you just have to transmit seed numbers. And then the random numbers that are generated by the sign functions over time will be the same for everybody. So everyone will appear to be in the same world. Um, however, if there's communication latency, they could be at different times. So, you know, that's kind of, it's a, the, the information um, that causes a generative world is one of the one of the reasons I think that this might be a simulation. So, yeah. So, Zanakis, you remember Zanakis? Well, apparently, no. yeah. Um, Zanakis, I believe he was um, Greek. Um, he was this, you know, stochastic music. He's the kind of father of it. Yanis Zanakis, he's Greek. Um, he was a music theorist and performer and director and engineer. In 1947, in Greece, um, he became a naturalized citizen of France. He um, he was considered an important post World War II composer. Anyway, Zanakis was one of the first guys that embraced computers and said, "You know what? I'm going to start making music with this computer." And people thought he was too out there. He's too extreme. Um, anyways, he used computers to generate. Sounds and numbers, you know, random number generators, you could use those. You could also use dice, or could you could use your mind and just create a melody. Or you could sit at a piano and strike a chord and then write it down. 
you know. Or um, you could be like Chopin, used to listen to his cat play the piano and said, that's genius, he said. His cat? Yeah, his cat. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. And one of his compositions is based on what the cat made. So, yeah. <laughs> what the cat dragged him? Yeah, yeah, so, you know. Um, yeah, one of, I, way, way back in my music days in bands, I wanted to have a stage name, so I thought I would figure out, okay, what would be my furthest back matrilineal last name would be. So my, my mother's 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 names went back. Uh, I'm shoebring because of my dad and his dad, but my mom was Kepke and her mom was Neith and her mom was Riley. I think so. Riley is like my my on my mother's side, my earliest family name. Oh, okay. So I thought, oh, I'll be Terry Riley. But little did I know there was already a famous Terry Riley, and and he he worked with computers and synthesizers back in the sixties too. Oh, really? So okay. isn't, that, isn't that a weird coincidence? Amazing, nineteen sixties, huh? I I think sixties or seventies. Terry Riley. Yeah, I think he used he was an early computer composition pioneer too. Um, yeah, cool. I think, you know, the, the Beatles were somewhat involved in, in what we're talking about too. They had, um, they had an inventor called Magic Alex who would create electronic devices for them. And like, like he had like a psychic tester Box, yeah. you would you'd push a button and flip the switch or something, and then you would have to guess, like you'd have to psychically guess what, what the light would do. Really? And I think he was supposed to be working on some um, some crazy music technology too. I think he also did. They, you know, if they had other problems with lawyers and stuff to worry about, they kind of, they didn't, they didn't invent the future like they thought they were going to. Well, is um, granular synthesis, which is where you take a sample and then you break it into a bunch of small parts and then use those as as um, source material. So you can have part of it as like your wave and then have another part for the really? um but that you know if you take not 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 as simple as just like plucking a banjo where it's a low sound, you know, but but to actually take a short piece of musical material and pull as much as you can out of that and create an instrument out of that material. It's called granular synthesis. And that's something that's possible because of the way the web audio API works is any sample playback comes from a buffer. So that a buffer is um, basically just a bunch of samples. And you can take that data out, chop it up, process it and put it back in the buffer and play it back over time. So essentially you could 
they, you know, they have a DX7 emulation. That's where you literally calculate the algorithms of the FM synthesis mm. and put it in a buffer. And so it literally, what you're hearing in the browser is literally what happens inside a DX7 synthesizer. Um, there's wow. virtual filters yeah. and virtual oscillators available in the Web Audio API, but I know that an analog filter is not the same as a virtual filter, especially the one that, you know, Google Chrome gives you. It's, it's beautiful. I love the fact that it's free and you can program it. Um, that Those are all fucking amazing. And so, you know, the fact that it doesn't sound as nice as a real analog filter, well, you know, someday maybe it will. But, um, yeah, so uh, I, I think, so what I think what I hear you're asking is like kind of for more of a visual tool to, to be able to interact with yeah it's like that's what people liked about the Fairlight CMI you know it was tactile it had a light pen you could interact with it you can work the waveform you could see it and there's interaction versus you know it just being audio driven yeah yeah the DX7 where you're programming different parameters and algorithms that, you, that are completely counterintuitive along in, you know, understanding sound. Um, so yeah, the DX7 is super painful to program. Um, yeah. There was early versions of it that had um, knobs and sliders and buttons, though, that were yeah, preferable. <laughs> But um, listen, those those techniques of synthesis and um, uh, like the D four that was hybrid synthesis. So it had it had waves and filters, but it also had short samples of transients, so you could have different, you know. Um, and they used the Spherelet CMI on Miami Vice, and a lot of people didn't have the money back then to be able to get that equipment. So it was for a select few. Whatever you do, I just want to be able to record and export my audio. I think that that's very useful when the developer allows that. So I just did some recent video using an app, and they allow the app allows you to record the video and the audio together on it, and it generates like some cool visuals. And I thought that was cool. And there isn't a watermark, which I thought was cool. So um, that's helpful when I can actually export it, you know, because if I'm creating it, I want to be able to share it and export it. So that's helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. It may not be possible in the browser on the iPhone which that, that's always sort of, it's like one of those things that um, Apple makes hard to do. Um, but for Chrome and desktop, I think uh, it would be practical to save WAM files from the browser. Um, they would have to go up to a server 
okay. to write the file, then you would download it from the server, but that's not a big deal. Right. Um, it could be based on the WordPress post so that you could have, you know, essentially automatically create a blog of whatever compositions you make. Mm. Delightful Dahlia Darby Sheriff theme. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Doctor Who, huh? Yeah, wasn't there ever any like space hippies jamming out? Uh, maybe. I don't know space hippies in Star Trek. Yeah. Speaking of, Star Trek just came on. She's scanning all frequencies. Yeah, I love those soundtrack sound effects. Didn't you have that record of samples? Um, Star Trek? Yeah. I think it might have been a, a story drama kids record. Okay. Yeah, I I always wanted that. And then there's the Star Wars sound effects. Three C C three PO R two D two. I saw an interesting uh, thing about the the sound engineering on Star Wars, where the the lasers were like they would they'd hit. Cable, uh, like the cable holding up towers, metal cables, and hit them with a hammer, making two sounds. Really? Oh. So, yeah, so some of that was practical effects that they just recorded in the field. Really? <laughs> yeah, but of course, you know, R2D2, yeah, it's absolutely a synthesizer. Yeah, but how did they get the sounds on Star Trek when they open the doors and close them and have all these special effects? Some of that was computer-generated, right? Well, in the sixty, they had these um, this crazy oscillator sounds with echoes, and they're going real, 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 with an echo, that kind of ring modulation on the echo. It was very, very futuristic. Um, there was a there was a specific guy who did a lot of that sound effect stuff in America and Hollywood in the fifties and sixties, and he had custom electronics that he made. Um, I I knew someone who had like a a CD set of uh, an archive of this guy's work. I forgot his name though. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's probably what we're talking about. So yeah, you know, back in the day, people would they would read about a filter in a engineering magazine, and they would solder it out of parts that they had on hand. You know, and then they just over years would build up custom instruments. Oh, interesting. Now, yeah, now now it's much easier because you can just do it with code, um, which. You know, that's been a great 
pleasure to me creating synthesizers and creating my own interfaces for them. You know, I mean, you know, one of my long-term projects is going to be, you know, kind of a compositional arpeggiator. You know, because I've always been inspired by different arpeggiators. I really loved the way the Korg arpeggiator algorithm, you know, helped to count out even numbers mm. the way it went up and down. Um, where some of them, you know, like sequential circuits had bad, you know, sequential circuits and Yamaha had inferior uh, arpeggiators. But I think, you know, one that was able to be aware of the key that you're playing and, and only play correct notes, um, that, you know, then, then it could apply harmony and counterpoint. Um, but you need to know what key you're in if you're going to generate notes that haven't been played by the player. Um, so, yeah, it's one of, one of the... There was a thing on it. If I could have, have that built into the Cork Poly 6 synthesizer and have the actual voices that I love, but mm-hmm. with a custom arpeggiator algorithm, you know, with key... Intelligence. That would be that would be a super super great instrument. That would be beautiful sounding instruments I've ever heard. I think it sounds nicer than sequential. The Korg Poly Six. Yeah, the Korg Poly Six. I had a very very So tell me more about the time when people had to order stuff in magazines. What was it like? Um, no, I mean, I, I was saying, like, engineers could read a schematic. And, you, you know, Craig Anderton would, you know, have circuits in electronic music magazine that you could... Uh, sometimes order the, the, the circuit board and then solder your own components into it. You know, you, you have, you know, octave dividers and those boxes, things like that. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> I'm actually only a, a couple of handshakes away from Craig Anderson. He's, he's involved with the MIDI 2.0 people. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I remember reading his stuff when I was a kid, learning about guitar tone and effects and things like that. Um, he, ex- you know, he explained what a flanger was. You know. Yeah. So, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, and so, and I don't know, remember the, the the reference, but somebody spoke of tuning, musical tuning again. Um, and I guess it's a centuries-old debate, 
but apparently somebody. Hello. Hello. Yeah, as as early as 1885, the Music Commission of the Italian government declared that all instruments and orchestras should use a tuning fork that vibrated at 440 hertz, which was different from the original standard of 435 hertz. Um, 432 was used in France. So we've been using 440 hertz since 1885 and somebody brought this up again what are your thoughts well <laughs> um i think that it's natural to want that um but, you know, the temperature will affect a tuning fork. You know, a digital clock will affect a, a metronome. It's all, I think it's, you know, it's, it's good to want to be more precise. But there's, you know, there's a, there's a disconnect with diatonic music anyways. So that it's, you know, it's sort of resistant to um, good tuning. Yeah. You know, and that if you're going to have a key change in your in your music, the intervals the intervals can suffer from. You know, if you're going to use equal temperament to have freedom of diatonic music, you have to sacrifice actual physics of the oscillations of the music. You know, I I mean. Whether, whether that's harmful or not, I guess, is completely subjective. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's weird things. If you, if you look up, you know, the harmonics of a guitar are not in tune. But that's, that's because equal temperament is not in tune with physics. It's a very peculiar um, coincidence that we have almost 12 equal tones in a harmonic scale naturally mm-hmm. so <clears throat> you know before diatonic music people used a different third interval so we're we're using a completely different note but it's close enough that we mostly don't notice it so yeah it's um as far as you know at the a what the a but, the middle a on the pianos uh Tuned at 440 hertz frequency. It was instituted as the precise time World War II preparations were being finalized by the petrochemical pharmaceutical war financiers. Hitler's Germany invaded Poland um, during World War II on September 1st, 1939. Only three months earlier, following widespread rejection of A equals 440 hertz frequency, Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels argued on behalf of this apparently very important intrusion into musical artistry, effectively persuading Hitler's supposed enemies in Britain to adopt this allegedly superior standard tuning for the master race. <laughs> That's ridiculous. How can one frequency <laughs> be be above another? Because yeah. it's it's ultimately lower if, if you 
consider every octave to be the same as its, you know, its upper and lower octaves. So if doubling and having your frequency, that's, you know, and I think... Yeah, and apparently this same guy that wrote that history said that 432 hertz is meditative. And that and if you want to create a meditative quality, you'll have to tune your instruments to 432 hertz. Otherwise, it has to be 440. When's the last time you tuned your instruments? I tuned a couple of notes today on, on my guitar. And what did you get? Um, I tend to, to pull some of the strings out of tune. Um, but, the yeah, it's, it's completely subjective. You're supposed to use your ears while you're playing. That's the difference between, you know, a a good amateur and a, a master is is that you have complete control like you hear and control your pitch at all times and you because it's like you have very good eyesight and you're driving a car extremely fast you know if you have bad eyesight it takes you a while to squint and see the signs or whatever you know so mm. um and you know to say that oh well you know, the, this lower pitch is more meditative than this higher pitch. That's ridiculous. I think it depends. Maybe, maybe he, you know, maybe his piano in his house was flat when he was a kid, and now all everything that's in tune sounds high and anxious to him. No, know, but what I'm asking, may, and maybe I, I, I could ask it more directly, but why is it that we need this standard? I mean. Do we need it? Is it necessary for us to all be on the same page? Um, no. Um, often heavy metal bands will be down a half step. I'm not sure how many hertz that is relative to 440. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess it's one twelfth of the logarithmic distance down but so it's you know whatever it is for it, yeah it's probably 432 okay. where the heavy metal bands play you know and they, they feel that it's heavy and aggressive I guess so the tuning yeah, but down. Ult ultimately it, it's just easier to sing you oh, know okay. like if Ozzy was singing it in E flat instead of E then you're going to have a hard time singing it in E because you have to sing higher than Ozzy did in 1971. So it's not going to happen. So um, I don't know. Am I answering the question? I, I think, well, I guess, you know, the reason would be that, you know, if I, I turn on my piano and hook it up to my iPad with a different sound, they're going to be at the same pitch because they've agreed to be at 440. So it's just convenient. And it, you don't have to worry about that when you're coding on HTML5, right? It's all standard you, to 440? You, um, no, you can 
choose your pitches with as much precision oh. as you need. So, so what do you there do? Are, there, there are uh, micro-tuning algorithms you can use in JavaScript. I choose to stick with diatonic music just because I want to be able to change keys without thinking about it. And, and I think if you adjust the thirds to sound natural, then it's ultimately going to sound unnatural move to another key because then you'll have the backward it's the, look up the wolf tone that's the the wolf tone is the 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 consequence of uh micro tunings and diatonic music and it's this um it's it's a sound you'll hear jimmy page play sometimes where it's it kind of makes a weird howling oscillation. Mm. I'll, I'll I'll play an example of it on my guitar for a second. at the academy on the Nomad Pro. Its mission was essentially peaceful. Bridge to auxiliary control room. Check in, please. Lieutenant Singh here. All systems are normal, except warp power indicators. Mr. Scott's engineers are working on them now. Report to him when your indicators are registering properly. Anything else? Uh, one moment, Lieutenant. Holding. Essentially, it is, Doctor. 
I believe that more happened to it than just damage in the meteor collision. It mentioned the other, so sooner or later, must No, it's disconnected. Can we hear it again? Um, sure. Thank you. As I said, the the natural major third is sharper, is flat relative to the equal tempered major third. Mm -hmm. And then if you play that note in a different key, it's a different note. And so it could cause your a different interval and a different key to be severely flat mm. tuned specifically for that. And so the if the sound of the wolf tone is of just basically a, a very detuned note. So to hear it as a kind of beating. Yeah. It's like a, a wolf howling. So that's the um, that's the equal tempered cool. problem. Um, yeah, so, so you know the metal bands play lower, but it's that's just because it's easier to sing. Um, you know whether it's like to say that you know. A lower note is heavier. That's, I guess, it's missing the point. The weight is relative to the lightness in the music. So if you listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin, the the bass and the drums are mixed really loud, and the guitar is mm -hmm. thin. You know, a lot of times, it's a Telecaster going through a small amp in in the studio, and it's, it's bright and brash and has a lot of texture, but it doesn't actually have a heck of a lot of bass in it. Mm. And you think of Led Zeppelin as this heavy, heavy band, but it's actually, the, the guitar isn't heavy at all. It's the combination of the, um, the lower frequencies in the rhythm that give it the, the weight. So that's it's a trick of the ear, you know. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil Spector, you know, would have like a piccolo flute in the ensemble, and that would give it weight because it would just take up that extra little bit of space at the very highest frequencies. Hmm. Interesting, um, Phil Spector, huh? Didn't he die in prison uh, or something? Didn't I'm he not sure if he's still alive. Yeah, I think he died in prison, didn't he? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, hmm. he, he... That is wild. That guitar is so jarring. <laughs> you know? uh, I think that's what people from India think when they hear our music. When they hear 440 hertz? 
so funny harmonic monsters is that what they think of us yeah really well, Indian classical oh you know because they would they would be in one key and all of their notes were correct like the sitar the, the pitches are measured out so that they have a perfect resonance yeah the frequency um where a guitar it's it's always a, a compromise well not a compromise but as with a guitar because it's made of strings um the harmonics are not exact um and so some of the components of the sound well i mean i guess it's theoretically if your guitar is like perfectly intonated and set up properly it's as good as a piano but then you still have as I said, the core mathematical difference between the the natural harmonics and the musical intervals that are possible with diatonic tuning or equal tempered tuning. One interesting, one of the pioneers of uh-huh. non-equal tempered, or uh, I think they call it uh, just temperament when it's mm-hmm. not equal tempered, was uh, Wendy Carlos. Oh, okay. She she worked with Yamaha on earliest versions of uh, microtunal or no it was it was a different company it was what was that that synth that Mach Fox had the Synergy that was a digital yeah. synthesizer that, that was one of the first instruments that had microtunings oh, okay. I think later on she worked with you um, because uh you know, some, I guess, I guess some Baroque music used um, just temperament. Yeah. So, so she was interested in being able to do that. Um, you know, it'd be interesting, you know, I mean, if you could go back and talk to anybody, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach would be the guy to talk to because, like, who knows what he thought about uh tuning and harmony because you know his his conception of music was so far in advance and like like he he was early in on diatonic music and took it to a like he he somehow jumped ahead of everybody in understanding what diatonic music yeah and bach i wonder what hertz bach was at you know yeah, I, I, you know whether and whether that was a consideration to him, whether you know one instrument was higher than another. Um, I don't know if, if if that was anything he thought about. You know, it was probably something that had to do with whoever you know was in charge of tuning your instruments would yeah. be the decider of what sounded good. Well, apparently. Um, apparently there are recordings of Bach in 432. I'm not sure, certain if that is a modern adaptation or if that was the only, um, you know, and, um, let's see here. Um, 
432. They loved him in 432. There are people that say, hell no, you better not put him in 440. Um, do you know the answer? Oh. What's the answer? Well, maybe they're Maybe their seconds were longer back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, are, are they counting the time? Yeah. You know, and I think if you were to say, you know, they didn't have accurate clocks until, uh, you know, like the 1600s, isn't that, or 1500s? When, when, mm. when was the nautical clock invented. Good question. <laughs> Another thing I gotta look up. <laughs> yeah, because like you, you couldn't navigate without knowing what yeah. time it is. You know, because if you look at the stars, you don't know how far east and west you are unless you know what time it is exactly. Yeah. And so the the counterbalancing clock that would work on a ship was a huge invention that allowed the British Empire to thrive because they could navigate east and west because, you know, used to just go up and down the coast. It was pretty straightforward to know where you are on the globe, north and south. But east and west is obviously changing throughout the day, so you have to know the time. So that was like a huge innovation, and I think at that time... So anyone, if you're looking at an instrument that was built a certain time ago, I mean, unless it's like a flute, you don't know how it was tuned. It was a string instrument. You look, There's no way you could look at it and know what pitch it was tuned to. I mean, you mm. could kind of guess by the, you know, like a, a cello is going to be tuned lower than a viola, but right. you, you can't know where it was. Well, I want, and I wonder if, what Mozart tuned in. I think there that's available because I'm not finding it um, here um, for Bach. Um, all I know is that standard is 440. The Baroque? The Baroque used 415. Okay. Yep. And... Um, um, Bach, uh, let's see. You know, actually, I think, in truth, if you could find a pitch pipe from a contemporary pitch pipe that a tuner might have used, then you could actually know what... So I, I could be wrong. Maybe we do know exactly what they were tuning to. Yeah, this is the pure tone of 440, it says. 440 hertz, that's it. But how did, how did they know what that was before they had... Uh, tuning forks precisely machine. Oh, okay. You know I mean? So here, um, this is, and this could, this could change, but from what I understand, Bach was at 466. Classical pitch is considered between 427 and 430. So Bach is high strong. <laughs> I think he might have had some kind of manic episode. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, um, the U.S. time and frequency stations WWV broadcasts a 440 signal um, at two minutes past every hour. Uh, this was added in 1936 to eight orchestras in tuning their instruments. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so if you have an 8 o'clock concert, everyone, the lights go down and the, the, you hear the tone. Yeah, there you go. Unreal. And the Indian comes on. That's why I'm saying this. there's something to this. It's like, why are we tuning? harmonics of a guitar the fifth and the seventh fret harmonics yeah don't line up and if you tune using those you'll end up um mistuning your guitar which i think you know i think it's such a slight effect mm -hmm. that you know generally you know the, the machine has to be tuned the gears are coarse and the friction is such that it's, you know, when you're turning the knobs and looking at the tuner, it's an approximation. You see, you know, if you look at a tuner and you hit the string, the pitch goes up and then down, up and then down. Every time you play the note, the pitch goes up and down. So it's like, it's hard to say, oh, well, this, this really, ultimately, you just have to get a sense for playing the chords of the song that you're going to play and then you say okay this sounds like it needs to be a little sharper this one might be a little too sharp so you know you'll 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 see people tune and then they'll play a couple of chords and then make an adjustment mm -hmm. We have these turbine trips a couple times a year. 
sorry. This is Jack Goodell. We have a serious condition. You get everybody into safety areas and make sure that they stay there.
you are a hard man to reach. Could not find you in Seattle and no terminal is in operation at your classified address. Classified address. DOD tension files indicate current naming as Dr. Robert Hume, aka Stephen W. Vulcan. Five tall Cedar Road, Goose Island, Oregon 97. Can I just talk to Mr. McKittrick? I think I know what's going on. Can I talk to Mr. McKittrick, please? David, I know what's going on. You're escorting you to federal authorities in Denver where you'll be placed under arrest pending indictment for espionage. Espionage? No way, Mr. Levy. Talk to him. He's right over there. Get that little bastard out of the war room. No, it's Joshua. He's still playing the game. to play dead? For security reasons, they graciously arranged my death. Did you know that no land animal with a body weight of over 50 pounds survived that age? Extinction is part of the natural order. Bullshit! If we're extinguished, there's nothing natural about that. It's just stupid. Oh, it's all right. I've planned ahead. We're just three miles from a primary target. A millisecond of brilliant light, we're vaporized. Much more fortunate than the millions who wander sightless through the smoldering aftermath. Survival. I'm only 17 years old. A 
not ready to die yet. You won't make a simple phone call? If the real Joshua was still alive, you're Joshua. You'd do it, wouldn't you? Look, we might gain a few years, perhaps time enough for you to have a son and watch him die. But humanity, planning its own destruction, that alone for won't stop. This is unreal. You don't care about death because you're already dead. Opportunities and jobs will multiply as we cross new thresholds of knowledge and reach deeper into the unknown. Our progress in space, taking giant steps for all mankind, is a tribute to American teamwork and excellence. Our finest minds in government, industry, and academia have all pulled together, and we can be proud to say we are first, we are the best, and we are so because we're free. America has always been greatest when we dared to be great. We can reach for greatness again. We can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space for peaceful economic and scientific gain. Tonight, I am directing NASA to develop a permanently manned space station and to do it within a decade. Space Station will permit quantum leaps in our research in science, communications, in metals, and in life-saving medicines which can be manufactured only in space. We want our friends to help us meet these challenges and share in their benefits. NASA will invite other countries to participate so we can strengthen peace, build prosperity, and expand freedom for all who share our goals. going out there? This is your pal John Travolta, and you're listening to Man Behind the Machine.
It's like, you know, it's like so weird.